Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us. And may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. If we haven't met before, my name's Paul. I'm part of the team here at the Mklanga campus. And, and today, today we wrap up the Dream Small series. And uh, I, I think, like, hopefully, like me, you've been challenged, encouraged, and inspired to dream small. And if you haven't been around over the last two weeks, and this is your first time here, I really do want to encourage you to catch up on the last two weeks. They kind of build on from, uh, from each, uh, each week onto each week. And, and so if you haven't watched, uh, if you haven't been here over the last two weeks, or if you missed out one of the weeks, I want to encourage you, go online, uh, go to the, our Grace website or onto our YouTube channel, and you can catch up with what's happening there. But we, we really do believe and this is why we've done this series, we really do believe that if we want to step into the big futures that we all want and desire, and it's something that happens at, like at the beginning of the year, we want our year to be better than it was last year. We have a sense of, of hope and expectation that this year would be bigger or better than last year, that if we're going to step into that, then we have to dream small. If we want to step into a big future, we've got to dream small. We, we need to do the next right thing, take the next right step. We need to listen to the whisper of God. What's he asking of us? If you weren't here last week, Tom told you you were average. Not me, Tom. We need to own our average. Go shout at him. We need to own our average. We need to build our passions, and we need to plant flowers in 2020. I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened, to go listen, to catch up, and be inspired and encouraged. I certainly have. But as I've been sort of like reflecting on this idea of dreaming small and what it means for you and for me, I'm drawn to a passage in the New Testament that kind of speaks into this reality that I think if we can get a hold of, it will help us dream small and step into big futures. And that verse for me is Ephesians 2 verse, uh, verse 10. It says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Now again, this isn't like the unique unicorn uh, that Tom was speaking about last week. There's something more to this. There's something of sort of the divine design that's in every single one of us. But we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, anew in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he has planned for us. For me, that's something that if I think about what this year is going to mean for me at least, and I think for you as well, there's something of, of this that I need to hold on to that I'm God's masterpiece, that he has created me and you in Christ, and that he has good things planned for me. But as I was reflecting on this, this verse and thinking about what it means for us in this year, part of, there's something that's actually quite challenging about this verse as well. You see, if, if I don't know who God is, and if you're sitting here today and that's still something that you're trying to figure out, or, or perhaps you, you, you hear this idea that God has got good things for you, but you're not even sure if he's good or good enough to potentially even have good things planned for you, it's going to be very difficult for you to step into the future that he has for you. If you're, if you're uncertain whether God is good or good enough to have good plans for you, it's going to be difficult to step into whatever those plans may be. You see, our view of God and what we think God thinks of us will determine and define how we step into the future that he has for us. Our view of God and how we think God views us will determine and define how we step into the future, the good things that he has planned for us. Richard Raw explores this idea a little further where he says, you know, if we secretly 
perhaps even unconsciously think that God is, a ha- is harsh and unreasonable, that God sets impossible standards and withholds any real expression of love because we can't attain those impossible standards, that God is unfairly keeping score on a scale that we can't even get onto. If we have this view of God, it will paralyze us and fill us with resentment. I just want to say this as we begin our time together, that, that your view of who God is is, the, is possibly the most important thing that defines what your future will look like. Your view of who God is, is is possibly the most important thing that's going to define what your vision is for your life, what your future looks like for your life. We need to have the right perception of who God is so that we can step into what He has planned for us. The other part of this reality, the other side of this coin, is that, is that if I have a misinformed view of how God thinks of me, I often have a heightened view of others' opinions of me. If I don't quite know the reality to the depths of my being that I am God's masterpiece, that when I take the next right step and I get challenged, I'm often going to feel shaky. When I do the next right thing and someone says to me, what on earth are you doing? And I don't have a sense of security in myself, I often am moved to a place of fear and anxiety. I need to know how God thinks of me so that I can step into the plans that he has for me. It's so important to, to know that we are created on purpose, for a purpose, and with purpose. That's how God's created you, every single one of you sitting here today. And when we can start to get a sense of that and own that I'm God's masterpiece, not some crazy unicorn, but I'm God's masterpiece. Man, when challenges come, when, when failings come, we have the inner strength to know, the resolve to know, I can take the next right step. I can dream small. And I think... I think it's into some of this mindset and this context that Jesus shares the parable of the talents or the parable of the three servants. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time with that today. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew 25. If you have a phone with you, click there, Matthew 25. And that's kind of where we're going to be spending some time. But before we do, I think it's important to note that this parable, like all parables, and a parable was a, was a story that Jesus told illustrating what a principle was using the reality of what was going on in the world around him, this parable that Jesus tells has multiple interpretations. And each of those interpretations has meaning and value and weight. We can't get into all of them because it's beautifully diverse. And that's, that's part of why Jesus used story. It's part of why Jesus told parables was because to one person it would mean this, and they're right, and to another it would mean this, and they're right, and to another it would challenge them in this way, and, and they're right. Jesus had that ability to use one story to impact multiple lives. But I want to read this parable and particularly look at two interpretations that I hope have some sense of meaning and value for you and I this morning. So uh, Matthew 25, it goes like this. This is Jesus telling the story. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted, brave man, his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to the one and two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last. Other translations have it as, as, as talents. He gave one, you know, five talents, two talents, and one talent. Um, other translations and other parables that seem similar like, like this use different measurements, but the purpose here is that there's something of value that's been given. Now, when I first read this parable and I saw one talent and one bag of silver, you kind of feel sorry for the guy, right? Like he got the raw end of the deal. It, just for some sort of context, that would be the equivalent of over a hundred million rand in today's term. I want one bag of silver, please, master. Like, I'm in on that deal, right? But here's a super important line. They were each given these things, dividing in proportion to their abilities. 
See, often we think that the gifts was the bag of silver, but actually the gift was in them all along. He then left on the trip. On the trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver uh, began to invest the money and earned five more. Good man. The servant, I want to know how, like what, what did he use there, like what was going on, right? The servant who had two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole, hid it under his mattress, in the ground, and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more bags. Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amounts, so I will give you more responsibility. Let's come, let's celebrate together. The servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, uh, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and, and I have earned two more. Kind of know where the response is going. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servants. You have been faithful in handling these small amounts. I will now entrust you with more responsibility. Let's celebrate together. And they had more cash, so they were flash. So, so here's the thing. I'll, before I, I get to, to the third servant, I want to pause for a moment. Because I think there's something that we can lean into and learn from here. You see, the, the first thing as I, as I reflect on the story is that there's absolutely no doubt that, that one of the principles this parable teaches us is the reality that when we're faithful with small amounts, God will entrust us with more. And I think often we can like go, okay, cool, if I'm like faithful with 100 bucks, God's going to give me. There's something more than that, than just sort of a simple exchange, I give to get. No, there's something about when we're faithful with what we've been given, God will give us more responsibility. There's something about when we're faithful with what God places in our hands, and trust with the little, and we can be trustworthy with the little, we can be trustworthy with more. And Tom used this verse last week. It uh, comes out of another parable similar. It says, it says this, you, when you, uh, Jesus speaking, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the larger ones. And as I reflect on that and think of the reality of that truth, I can think of no more powerful example than that of Mark and Christine. If you just look around this room today, right, uh, just the people that were on the worship team and the tech desk and on the cameras, like that was our whole church for a long time, like a long, like many years, that's how many people were in the church, not in one service, all the services. For, for years, they, they felt this call of God, come and plant a church in Durban, and then there was little, little. To the point one night where, where they were gathering for a service, getting ready for it, and, and Mark tells the story, he got out an overhead projector. I don't know what that is. I'm too young. But he got out an overhead projector, and they got ready for the service, and, and no one arrived. No one. But here's the reality. And what I think Mark and Christine embodied so beautifully is that there's a, an encouragement and a call to every single one of us to steward and be faithful with what's in front of us. What's God given you in your hands? What's he placed there? Man, it, it may look small to you. It, it may not look like significant to you. But be faithful with that, and God will give you more responsibility. It will multiply. It will increase. I've experienced this to be true of, in, in my own life. Uh, many of, uh, some of you know I'm involved in a ministry called Red Frogs, and I see Roxy there. Roxy was our first medic ever on Red Frogs, and she genuinely saved human beings' lives. But when we started Red Frogs, we started in Belito with a super clapped out, out old combi, giving free lifts to a bunch of matrix who were down there. And then we kind of saw that there was like a response to that. People like appreciated that help. So we thought, well, 
like, what do we do with that? So next year, we got an even worse combi for some reason, and one or two more volunteers. And, and last year, we served with about 300 and something volunteers, over half a million young South Africans at universities, music festivals, and in schools throughout our nation. And it started with a combi. Like, just with a combi. And, and here's, here's kind of why I want to share that story with you, because, like, often, I, I'm, uh, often, every now and again, I'm asked the question, like, like how? Like, like, how did this thing go? Because it's bizarre. Like, we go to parties and make pancakes. It's a weird thing, right? But can I be honest with you? I think the only reason Red Frogs is the ministry it is today is because we were faithful with what was in front of us. God said, here's a pancake, so we made pancakes. He has a little red frog sweets, so we handed out little red frog sweets. Be faithful with what God has given you, and he will entrust you with more. And I really do believe that for every single one of you, God has given you something. I go back to that verse from earlier, Ephesians 2. It says, you are God's masterpiece. Not the person, yes, the person sitting next to you, but you. You are God's masterpiece. You're created in the image of God. God has given you something to steward. He's given you time and talent and treasure, gifts and ability, influence. God has given you something that you can be faithful with. And I know it seems like a little, but be faithful with a little, and God will bless you with more. Be faithful with a little. And part of this reality of, of being able to own what we have is being able to understand what we have. Like, it's difficult to, to understand that I'm a masterpiece of God if I don't quite know how, how God wired me and designed me. And what we kind of say here at Grace is that, that when you start to discover your design, it will reveal your destiny. That your design reveals your destiny. How God created you, how God wired you, will unpack and unleash what the future that he has in store for you. And so part of what we want to do is partner with you in that, partner with you to figure out how God has uniquely called every single one of you to join him in making a difference in this world. So, so if you've been around Grace for a while, you would know about the Engage process where we kind of meet here afterwards. Well, next Sunday, we are relaunching the Engage process to help you figure out who you are, how God has placed you, and how you can make a difference in the world. So it starts next Sunday. If that's you, if you're wanting to, to take that step to figure out what it means for you, I want to encourage you to put a little bit of time aside after the services from next Sunday. Engage will happen every Sunday after every service every month. So if you miss like next Sunday or the Sunday after or the Sunday after, there's another Sunday coming that you can join us for Engage. But I really do want to encourage you, discover your design because it will reveal your destiny. Now, now before we continue um, with this parable, before we continue to unpack what it may mean for us, I want to just give us some context that I think will help us understand what's being said here. You see, one of the ways to interpret this parable, one of the ways that helps us interp interpret this parable is to understand that Jesus was using this parable to challenge the religious leaders of the day around what their view was of the kingdom of God and their role in it. A clue to this is in the first sentence, right? So the first sentence of the story goes like this. The kingdom of heaven, it's a really important phrase, can be illustrated, important phrase, by the story of a man, important phrase, going on a long trip. A lot of that has to do with their perception of who God, of who God is and who God was. If you enjoy that kind of stuff, study that, those words. They're powerful and meaningful. But this set of language and these phrases are often used by Jesus, and they're recorded by the people who watch Jesus' life uh, to refer to the fact that the kingdom of heaven is a statement of saying, when Jesus uses that statement, rather, it's him saying, I'm wanting to challenge your perception of what that is. When Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, 
often what he's trying to do is challenge the perception of what people thought the kingdom of heaven was like. And so, another way to interpret this parable is to understand that when Jesus refers to, in this parable, uh, bags of silver or talents, what he's actually referring to is the gifts of the kingdom of God that have been given to every single one of us. Perhaps what Jesus is trying to challenge us with is the idea that we have been given something of the kingdom of God, and how are we going to steward what we've been given? When you understand what Jesus, who Jesus was speaking to, he was speaking to a nation and to a leadership and to a group of people who knew that they were meant to be the blessing of God, but not for themselves, for the world around them. But up until this point, they'd done nothing with it. Their mindset, their viewpoint was God has blessed us, and so they kept it in rather than sending that blessing out. And so, so Jesus is trying to challenge that. He's trying to, to challenge him to say, would you rather advance the kingdom? Would you rather advance my message? Would you rather advance my blessing into the world rather than just simply holding onto it? And through the, the response of the master to the third servant, Jesus is challenging them as he is challenging us now to simply ask the question, what are we going to do with what we've been given? So the, the, third, servant goes, the third servant's response like, goes like this. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit the money into the bank? At least you could have gotten some interest. There's no doubt that part of, what this challenge, uh, part of what this parable is challenging us to is the reality of being faithful with the little. But it is also a call and a deep call to understand that every single one of us has a role to play. That every single one of us is invited to participate with God in bringing healing and hope to our world. I think what Jesus is trying to get to at, at this parable and what I hope you walk away with is this sense. That we have a role to play. You have a role to play, every single one of us. Every single one of us is invited to not just sit with the life and love and grace and peace and hope and restoration that Jesus provides us. We receive that here, we receive that in community, we receive that through our connection with God, and I think what Jesus is trying to do here is say, don't just sit with it. Don't just hold on to it. It's for more than that. I believe that what part of what 2020 is going to mean for you and for me, and what I'm hoping it means for me, is an invitation to participate in meaningfully contributing to the world and towards God's mission to bring healing to our world. To share the love and the grace and the blessing that God has given me and allowing that to impact the world around me. I believe that what God is inviting every single one of us is to a greater sense of expectation that we have a role to play to see our city change to see your school change, to see your workplace change, to see your family change, to see, to see your universities change, to see our nation change. You have a role to play in that. But, but here's the thing. So often when we hear that, we can be paralyzed by the grandness of the vision. Sure, God, that's you're asking too much. The world, sometimes that's God, you're asking too much. You want me to speak to them? Don't be paralyzed by the grandness of the vision. Dream small. Dream small. Take the next right step. Listen to the whisper. Listen to what God's asking you to do and perhaps plant seeds that will lead to flowers. A super, super practical way that you can do this is, is maybe by inviting someone to Alpha on Wednesday night. 
Maybe there's someone in your family, maybe it's one of your friends, maybe it's someone at work, and you're just simply going to say, why don't you come along with me? Maybe it's someone that's asking these kind of challenging questions, and they're a bit scared to come to church. Well, then be brave and say, why don't you come and sit with me at Alpha? You get a free meal out of it. How awesome is that? Invite someone along. You know, maybe it's about being intentional with who you're hanging out with in your workplace or at your university, and maybe, maybe it's about hanging out with someone who doesn't quite look like you or act like you. Because it's easy, isn't it, to just start being comfortable with those that, that are around us. It's easy just to feel like, hey, this is me, this is my friendship circle, this is my small group, this is my church. But there's a call that we have a role to play to pass that blessing on and outward. Maybe it's about building a relationship with someone in your workspace, wherever it is. Maybe it's about just getting to know them, getting to hear their story, understanding what's going on in their world. Maybe it's about praying for them, taking them a meal when they're sick. Uh, for me... Uh, for me, uh, this gets super practical. I felt like this year God was asking me to, to be very intentional about, about where I spend time and who my sphere of influence is. Like, where am I spending time and who's my sphere of influence? And so part of what I felt like, and this sounds crazy, what God's asking me to do is, is to pick two coffee shops. And I'm, because I'm suffering for the gospel, I picked two really good ones, right? Because coffee is life. But So, so I picked two coffee shops, and, and what I want to do um, we all suffer for like different ways, you know, but like what I want to do is I want to make sure that those are the regular places I hang out. Those are the regular people that I'm able to connect with. I want to get to know the barista's name. I want to get to know the barista's story. I want to get to know what his life is like and maybe just encourage him. I want to get to know the owners and some of the regulars. And now, now although that's a story about coffee, because let me be honest, coffee is my life. My wife's my life, but coffee is important, okay? <laughs> so, sorry. Coffee is my interest. Coffee is something that I'm passionate about, and coffee is good. It needs to be good, right? What's your interest? What are you passionate about? Being creative. Thank you so much. Go be creative in the best possible way and influence your art school. Go do that. That's awesome. Uh, you don't have to, other people don't have to shout out. Thank you for shouting out, though. You're a legend. Um, but but, uh, but it, what is it? So we've got being creative. We've got coffee. Maybe it's sport. Maybe it's, it's art. Maybe it's being a really good um, representative for your company. Whatever it is, what is your interest? And then just simply ask the question, God, what can I do with what you've given me? I'm going to invite Katie uh, to come and join me on stage as we sort of move towards the end of our time together. And, and I want to just create a moment of reflection and response because as I was thinking about the story and this parable, I started to ask the question, why did the third servant respond in the way that the third servant responded? Why did the third servant choose to hold on to what he'd been given, bury it, and not do anything? Why did he choose to not respond to the invitation and step out? And I think... Part of the reason why the servant did that, you can see in his response to the master in verse 24, he says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. So remember, the kingdom of heaven is like Jesus is trying to teach us something here. I think one of the reasons the servant didn't step into all that was in store for him is because he said, Master, you're a harsh man. The third servant who hides and holds back what he'd been given demonstrates for us exactly what can happen when we have a misinformed view of who God is. When we have a misinformed view of who God is, we hold on and we don't step out. You see, what you see in the first two servants, the first two servants, they don't have any fear of being punished or any fear of, of, of making a mistake and then sort of receiving the repercussions of that. 
They seize the opportunity with both hands, and they step forward into all that's ahead for them. They do this with, with freedom and joy and celebration. And what I love is as they come back to the master, the master says, well done, let's celebrate together. They step into all that life had for them because they weren't crippled by the expectation of punishment or of disapproval. But what we see in the third servant is a different view of the master. A view of the master that said, if I do something wrong, I'll be punished or worse yet, rejected. The third servant represents for us, represents for me the times that I view God as harsh and disapproving. It's the view of God that I can sometimes have when I fail or try to step out and it doesn't happen for me. Or maybe it's the view that you have of God as a harsh disciplinarian waiting for you to slip up, waiting for you to make a mistake. Can I just say this? If that is your view of God or if you have a view of God that isn't full and complete and we're all growing that in some sense. But if we have this view of God as harsh and demanding and a disciplinarian, it's going to hold us back from stepping into our future because the risks are too high. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fail, I'm not good enough, God's not there for me. And the, and the fear of the reward being too low is too big for us. We need to have a right perception of God and so often what happens is when we have a misinformed view of God, it leads us into small lives, small living. God wants to right size that for us and, and this is what I want you to understand. Part of the reason why Jesus tells this parable and what he's calling us to know is that, that he came Jesus came to bring life and life to the full. Life and life to the full. Jesus came to set us free from our crippling fear and our crippling anxiety. What if I mess up? What if I get this wrong? What if I'm not good enough? Jesus came to set you free from that. He came to set me free from that. He came to set us free from this idea that God is punishing us or wants to punish us if we get it all wrong. Rather, he wants us to know that he is the master who would celebrate with us when we take a step out. Come, let's celebrate together. Jesus wants, to know, wants you to know, he wants me to know that he is inviting us to have a role to play and he's gonna do it alongside us. But as I reflect on this, I think what Jesus is ultimately trying to get us to understand, and I really do believe this, if you're going to step into all that God has in store for you this year and you're gonna live a, a full and meaningful life, you need to know this that God is good and that you are loved. I think if you can know that, no matter what comes your way this year, you can dream small. No matter what challenges, no matter what frustrations, no matter what goes on in your life, if you can know that God is good and you are loved, you will overcome whatever is in front of you. That your sins were forgiven in, in a moment as Jesus tied on the cross for us and we accepted that truth. It was a moment not an effort. Throw yourself. There's an invitation to throw yourself into God's love and life and blessing and joy that He has for you with no risk of upsetting God. And what I love about this parable is as we do that, as we step into this kind of life, we were willing to live life to the full. The story encourages us to be faithful with a little and there's a greater reward. A greater reward that brings more life to more people and more glory to God. John Piper reflects on this reality where he says these words. He says, God is most glorified. And glorified is a way of saying God is most lifted up. God is most made famous. God is most exalted. God is most praised. I don't know what word you need me to put there, but God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied, content, 
content in the fact that He is good and we are loved when we are most satisfied in Him. Would you glorify God this year? I think that, that as we wrap up the series, my prayer for you, our prayer for you is that, is that you would step into the big things that God has for you. That you would go on the journey of dreaming small, taking the next right step, listening to the whisper, but knowing all the time that God is good, you are loved, and He's inviting you to play a role. And I think when we can do that, we're able to step into all that He has in store for us this year. Would you stand as we close our time together? I want to be able to create a moment of response uh, as we finish this series, as we think about what this year means and holds for you, for me. I want to create a, a moment of, of, of commissioning, of encouraging you to go out into all that God has in store for you. But I want to do it through saying a prayer together. So I'd like it to go up on the screen. And I just want to read this to you and then we're going to say it together. But maybe this is a prayer you'd like to say. God, in 2020, I'm trusting you. Maybe you're here this morning and that's the first time you're saying that. You've never trusted him before, but today you're willing to trust. Or maybe you've been jaded and hurt. You've had setbacks, but you're willing to say, in 2020, God, I am trusting you. That I'm your masterpiece. That you would right-size God's view of you and it would allow you and free you to step into all that he has for you. God, I'm trusting you that you have good things planned for me. And I think above all else that you would say, God, I'm thanking you, I'm trusting you that I am made anew in Jesus Christ. Just by the simple confession of our mouths that we receive the abundance of that life. So if that is you, if that is a prayer you'd like to pray, just quietly in your own mind and heart, perhaps you would say that prayer with me. Let's pray together. God, in 2020, I'm trusting you. What is it that you're trusting him for? God, I'm trusting you that I am your masterpiece, that you have good things planned for me, and that I am made anew in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for every single person gathered here this morning that they would know these things to the very depth of their heart and their being. God, I pray for people here who, who are uncertain of your goodness because of what's happened to them or what's happening to them right now, that you would restore to them through the power of your Holy Spirit at work, that you would restore to them the goodness of your nature and your love for them. God, for people here this morning who are uncertain of their love ability, uncertain of their value, uncertain of their worth, being brought down because of that crippling fear and anxiety, restore to them how much you love them. You love them, you love them. You love us, God. Thank you that you love us. And above all these things, Jesus, we really are so grateful that you call us to play a part in advancing your kingdom and your, your mission in this world. Help us to dream small. Help us to take the next right step, God. That we would glorify your name. We would glorify your nature in all that we say and do. So God, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. And we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.